0: What the hell actually is authenticity? Is that just like a self-help buzzword? How do you know your authentic self from your inauthentic self? Those are the some, those are some of the <laughs> questions that Nick Hazelton and I discuss on his Yakin' with Nick podcast. He's a yak farmer. Y-A-K-K-I-N with Nick. This is episode 99 of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast. I know you guys love the podcasts on communication skills because I love the podcasts on communication skills and you love what I love. Hey,
1: you're listening to Yakin' with Nick. This is episode 58, an interview I did with my friend Anthony Samuroff. I gave him a bit of an introduction in the beginning of the interview. But before that, I wanted to step in and say, hey, this conversation is inspired by a really cool article that Anthony wrote. You can find it on Substack. Um, I have it linked in the show notes. Isn't that convenient? You can uh, type in this address as well. It's psychosocial.substack.com forward slash P forward slash people pleaser. And that's the letter P and then forward slash people pleaser. And uh, that was a big part of the, the theme of that article was people pleasing and um, how to be authentic in relationships. I think it was a great article inspired a lot of thought in me. And I think, uh, as you can see, I drifted a little bit from that original theme that he had, but it's still very much in line with what he wrote. And I think uh, it was a good conversation and I hope you'll enjoy it. I also wanted to say that he has a podcast called Be Yourself and Love It Podcast, and you can find that online on Apple and Spotify. I think I saw it on Spotify. I don't want to say that it was there, but you can also find it at BeYourselfAndLoveIt.com. Before the interview, I recommend reading that article, but um, afterwards, definitely definitely check it out if you haven't, and check out his podcast because uh, it has some really great stuff. I, I find Anthony to be very entertaining, and uh, I think that he has... Uh, a good perspective. And I think he admits that maybe he has a little bit of waffle in him. So do I, maybe a little bit of sophistry there, but you know, we all do. Um, but I, I do think that if you, uh, I think if you pay attention to what he's saying, you know, some of it may be contradictory, but I think it's because, and it's the same thing with me too. I think it's because this is a bit of an exploration that these ideas are not fully set in our minds and it's something that needs to be explored more. And uh, I, I'm very interested in hearing your feedback on this conversation, and I'm sure Anthony as well. But yeah, let us know what you think. How did we show up in this? I think I don't think you can be fully authentic in any moment. I think it's very, very hard. I think we often take these words like responsible or authentic and put them onto people, and it's just a blanket statement for their behavior. And really, everybody's behavior is a bit nuanced, so, anyway, I don't want to just give away my thoughts in the beginning of this interview. Uh, this is a great conversation that Anthony and I have for you. So, with that, here it is. Um, and, yeah, so let's just get into it. I'm I'm happy to talk to you. I'm glad that we have you on the Yakking with Nick program. Thanks for coming on, Anthony.
0: It's a great pleasure, and I'm glad to get the chance to yak with you, because we've not yakked in a while. Anthony
1: uh, has been in the same kind of spheres of personal development and and the libertarian stuff um and I don't know exactly how we met, but I believe it was through Chris Stefanik and um we I had you in our our business mastermind for a, a long while and so it was just you're an interesting person to talk to and I appreciate your perspective on um personal development and therapy and and relationships and it's always fun to check in and see what what you're you're doing you I feel like you're a uh, an interesting person maybe it's I, I hate to say that maybe it's partly. That you have an, an a funny accent to me, but um right, it's okay. not entirely that, but I think that you have some some character qualities that I just think are interesting but i I really interesting. I like talking to you
0: thank you. I'm used to the accent personally, so it's not weird to me, <laughs> but uh who knows maybe part of that Anthony Samrov mystique is uh, in a large part down to my accent, maybe if I was saying exactly the same things, but I just sounded like everyone else. I wouldn't stand out as much. I don't know. Who knows? I'm a short <laughs> guy as well, and they, they they tend to say that short people sometimes find ways to become more interesting. Or I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe it yeah. happens sometimes. So you, you you kind of develop a larger than life personality.
1: Totally, and I, I kind of get that. I I think that I've been told this similarly. Where I, I I'm like 120 pounds. Yeah, that's how much I weigh, and uh, and I'm I'm not that short, but I feel like, yeah, maybe there's something there too. I, I understand that. Mm. Well, I wanted to talk to you specifically about this article that you wrote on authenticity and relationships. It mm. I came through my Facebook feed and, and I clicked on it and I read it and I really enjoyed your perspective on that. And I thought it was really interesting. As some, I don't have a lot of experience in romantic relationships, um, mm. especially since high school. But I'm always thinking about this kind of authenticity thing and how it relates to my life and especially in relationships where I fall into a pattern that you were pointing out of placating people mm. based on, you know, trying to avoid conflict or trying to get a certain desired result out of an interaction with somebody. And I'd like to think that I'm pretty authentic and I try very hard. Mm. But I think everybody falls into these kinds of traps and, you know, like you were talking about some people have maybe more of a disposition towards that. Mm. I thought that was really interesting that you are sharing these perspectives that you have. One of the things that was interested in hearing from you is, what do you think your definition of authenticity is?
0: Wow. Okay, so that's like a a big question at the gate. (laughs) And when you were speaking, I was thinking like, there's this view that there's like, there's authentic you and then... If you don't act 100% in accordance with it or something like that, you're inauthentic. But I'm not really sure if that's useful. Maybe it's better to see it as on a kind of continuum or like also because your authenticity is limited by your different options in terms of how you know how to communicate. So maybe like if you knew how to communicate better than you do, your authentic response would be something more you know, so, something more effective, you cho- you would authentically choose to say something more effective, but you don't know any better. Like, I feel like we're kind of in this um, journey in life of exploring ourselves and finding out who we are. So even when you're, there's a therapist, I can't remember who it was, it might have been Carl Rogers, but I'm not sure, Who said, even when you're being authentic, you're being authentic, and within a context. There's a certain way to be authentic when you're the therapist, which might be a little bit different from the way that you are to be authentic when you're the client. Famously, when Jean-Paul Sartre, the French philosopher, died, as his casket got taken through the streets of Paris, all the waiters came to the door of the restaurant because um, he, used, he used to use an example of being in bad faith where he said, well, you know, there's these things where when, you, when you're a waiter, you act. Out the role of being a waiter and you you stop being your authentic self i know i've not directly answered your question my show is called be yourself and love it podcast and when i came up with that my my coach at the time was like oh i love it and one of the things i love it is probably a lot of people would be like be myself like that's the last that you what the guy that didn't get dates at school that's the last thing i want to be So it has to be be yourself and love it, uh, not just be yourself because, you know, that's such glib advice. Just be yourself. Well, what is myself? At certain moments, we've got various, should I say this or should I say that? We've got a bunch of options in our head and maybe actually all of them are authentic, but we just don't know which part of ourselves to represent. Jordan Pearson says something good, which is you might not always know the truth, but you always know when you're lying. And I think you might not always know when you're being authentic, but you probably always know when you're compromising yourself. I don't know if that's true or not. Also, sometimes when you try and improve your social skills or communication skills, you need to try things that you're not used to, and that might feel inauthentic to you especially if you're a placator, especially if you're a people pleaser, you might not feel that comfortable being assertive. And if you don't, a lot of the time, if you don't feel comfortable with it, you won't get good results. And then that's maybe why people stay as people pleasers or placators, because people don't just read what you say, your words, they can feel you, they can feel your vibe. So if you're not congruent with what you're saying, you know, maybe that's what being authentic is, being congruent with what you're saying, Then um, they'd feel that. And even if you're saying assertive things, they don't feel you as assertive. So you will get bad results. And then people go, oh, shit, I'm not trying that again because it didn't work. Someone attacked me for being assertive. And they might not have attacked me if I complicated them. The weird thing is you have to practice to get good at it so that you are congruent when you assert yourself. And then people will not so readily over time. People won't challenge you so much as you become more and more confident asserting yourself so that when you say these things, they feel you and you feel just as solid as your words are. In the meantime, when you're trying to get from here to there, where's the room for authenticity? I mean, you're genuinely saying something that you don't feel comfortable with because you're not confident enough. So I'm not really sure what authenticity is, is the conclusion of my my thinking out loud. It seems like just a buzzword. (laughs) I mean, I use the word, we all use the word, but that doesn't mean that, it's, that the meaning of it's clear. I think when you communicate, you have an aim and, you know, you try and do the best you can. And sometimes you do the wrong thing. Sometimes you're too eh, aggressive. Sometimes you're too passive. And over time, you like gain experience and you try and get better at assessing how to do it. Like, I think about, like, OK, I want to get my point across, but I also want to be sensitive to the other person's feelings. If I'm too sensitive to the other person's feelings, does that mean I'm inauthentic? You know, some people like to say, well, you know, I'm just a straight shooter. I just say it the way it is. And like, you know, 90% of the time, they're just excusing being an asshole to people. <laughs> so there's my journey. You, like, you set me on a journey just asking <laughs> that question. I don't, think it, I don't think the word requires defining. I don't think it's helpful to try and define it because the thing is ultimately in life, you're going to find yourself in social situations or interpersonal situations that are challenging and you need to do the best, make the best decisions you can in those situations and learn from experience.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a really good broad view of, of how I, could, I think that's a really good broad uh, yeah, I don't know if definition, but a good exploration of what authenticity is, and I and I think you have a good point there about not focusing on a definition of this because it's in a way that's holding yourself to a standard that maybe is not you. You know, it's not really how you want to be, um, and and I think there are certain times where. It may be beneficial not to be authentic if you're in a dangerous situation or something. You know, there there are reasons why we have this kind of this is a protection mechanism, and there there are situations where it's a good idea. But in most situations, like we're talking about in terms of interpersonal relationships, um, it's definitely something that's very valuable to have, if you're able to express your own feelings about how you feel about something as well as be sensitive to other people's things, then, you know, then that can, or, you know, I guess if you're willing to explore what you have inside you and you're willing to explore and see what other people have, um, and what they're feeling, Mm. you can meet each other a lot easier and you can find a lot of things to, uh, I don't know. I, I find that it's quite a relief just to explain things to people and then hear that Mm. said back. That's right. It, it just validation is powerful there too, right? So I don't know. I, I like your broad explanation and I, I like the idea of shying away from mm. um, trying to give a, a, a specific definition as to, yeah, how should I be interacting with my relationships?
0: Mm. And I like the way you put it. If you want to improve your communication skills, you're going to be called upon to do things that don't feel authentic to you in order to achieve those skills. I mean, like, but that that's the only way that people usually learn anything. I mean, when, you know, when we were kids, like kids used to play doctor or shopkeeper, girls would play house and play with the baby doll. And it's all let's pretend because they're actually attaining. Or I remember when I was a kid, you know, when we used to rake up the leaves for someone, you know, for an adult, I'd say to my friend, let's pretend, you know, we're workmen and th- this is our job and we're playing at being adults that had real jobs. Right. So... That's one of the ways we learn is by uh, let's pretend, you know, there's a good type of pretending, which is intended at embodying a, fake it till you make it, embodying a quality that you don't have yet so that you can develop it. And then there's a bad form of pretending, which is like deceiving people. Uh, in addition to that how you feel about something in one moment and what really seems authentic to you might not be the same the next morning or something like that so at best what you've got is an, a snapshot of like how you feel just now and sometimes when you sit on it and leave it for a while you can remember how you thought or felt about it over the course of the last couple of days or weeks and uh, you, you realize that you've actually got a bunch of perspectives on that thing one part of you feels this way about it another part feels that way and then you can you can you can even channel that into your authentic conversations you say on one hand like i understand why you did it and i empathize with you and i think well you know what right do i have got to be angry because you're just x y z on the other hand i am like frustrated irritated insert the blank whatever you want because i think this way you know so it's complicated because there's so much to us yeah that's why, maybe that's why it's so fascinating, because there's always something more to learn.
1: Yeah, totally. And I I really like that, that you pointed that out, that there's a way to express both or any of your feelings at the same time, because we do have a lot of contradictions and, and sometimes it's, you know, you're mm. compelled by one passionate feeling and that's kind of a, that's the thing that's communicating through you. But it's really, uh, i this is something I've really practiced lately and I'd like to think I'm getting kind of good at it is kind of holding these contradictory ideas at the same time and, and valuing them both and understanding like, yeah, I do feel angry, but at the same time I, 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 under, I have some forgiveness and some empathy for making mistakes, you know, cause I've made mistakes myself and I don't, I don't like being raked over the coals for them. So I'm not going to do that to this person, but I will express that, Hey, I, I have a passionate anger here yeah, and, um, and there's a reason for that. Right. And, and it's, I'm not going to hold this, you know, there's a, I think it's powerful to be able to, um, or it's really helpful to be able to express your feelings and then also be clear about the strategies that you want to use where it's like, I, yes, I do feel this way, but the strategy that I'm going to use is not going to, you know, carry this passionate feeling and use this anger to express words that, um, you know, are maybe belittling or yeah, or damaging. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to take my anger out on this person in a way that's going to be. Mm. Damaging, even if I feel that way, because because I do want to practice the um, forgiveness and the you know and a healthier way of dealing with anger, and that's something that I've been able to build and and I think through kind of faking it until you make it, you know, with people, I realized that hey, I don't want to react this way, and I want to react this way, and so you start thinking about oh, I want to react this way, and you try to you if, as you slowly get to know or as I've slowly gotten to know how I react to things, I've been able to stop and look at that and be able to hold the contradictory ideas and and choose the um, strategy I would like and also just be very clear to people about what is my decision making process there. Mm. I think that's really helpful in my relationships lately.
0: Mm, I'd love to hear some anecdotes in a moment, but I think your example is very illustrative because, right, what's authentic? Seeing that moment when you feel like, like rage, you know, what your rage, your rage is the loudest and what it really wants to do is like tear the other person down, right? So is that great authentic communication if you just go straight with the emotion? Maybe it is, but it's authentic, but it's not effective because it's going to poison your relationships. This is even a simplified version because a lot of times we've got more than two contradictory desires never mind just two. But let's just take that as an example. Okay, part of you wants to rage at the other person and the part of you says, that's not really the kind of person I want to be. I want to be a person who's an effective communicator, not someone who has has impulse control, not someone who, as soon as they're angry, just unleashes their emotions on other people. Like, that's not who I aspire to be. So, which is authentic? I guess they both are, in a sense. This one wins in the end, but then if you keep on repressing the emotion... Maybe you end up exploding at someone worse at some point. So you need to, or or maybe there's another thing that people often do, which is uh, talk themselves out of their emotion. Oh, I'm not that angry. Or, oh, well, what's even the point in confronting that person? And sometimes there is no point confronting someone, but then people use it as an excuse not to have conflicts that actually might benefit the relationships as well, going oh, well, there's no point, there's too much hassle. Oh, I don't really care about it. I don't actually care about it. I don't mind that much. When actually they do mind. The other person might not be capable of resolving the conflict if they're not good at these kinds of things. But sometimes you're not even giving someone the chance to show you that they're capable of collaborating with you and patching up relationship miscommunications. If you don't give them the chance, they can't prove themselves worthy. It's complicated.
1: Yeah. And so as navigating those things is really interesting and that's something that's that's been on my mind is like that. Am I, you know, am I like, how do you yeah, how do you feel secure about making these changes about yourself and kind of this. So like I noticed that I have a tendency to get uh, get frustrated by people repeating questions to me. This is an easy antidote that it, that's an easy kind of pet peeve trigger of mine. It's like you repeat it. Mm. Somebody that I work with or in my life will repeat a question over like a few days or maybe if, especially if it's a, a one day for some reason I get irritated and it feels like to me and I've explored this. It feels like to me, it's like, I'm, I'm not being seen or heard. Mm. You're asking me this question. You're, you're asking for my attention and you want me to give you information And then you didn't listen the first time. Mm. And so it makes me not want to give it to you the second time. But I also understand that sometimes things change over time and it's good to clarify and make sure that somebody's still feeling the same way or still has the same plans just to check in, just to make sure. So I don't want to get quippy with people and say, hey, I already told you. You know, that'd be my response. Mm. I'd like to be able to respond nicely and just give the same answer. And sometimes if it's a recurring thing, then that's something that I can express and say, hey, just want you to know that this is how I felt about that. And even though I responded in this way, that I also feel this way. If I responded in an angry way, I'd hope to come back and say, hey, I'm sorry that I was so upset. Mm. It's just irritating for me to have this question asked multiple times. Or if I do respond in a way that I'm happy about, that I can come back and also say, hey, I uh, would like to express that I'm sensitive to repeating information. If you would mind phrasing the questions back to me in a different way than the first question or, you know, something like this where you could say, hey, Nick, I'm just checking in. I just want to make sure things are still the plan um, just in case anything changed. Uh, You know, what were you doing this day? that's okay with me, you know, that I feel a lot better about. So learning to communicate and also also sometimes like that's a small enough issue where it's like, I'll, I'll just let it go because it's not likely to repeat. And also it is not, it's a very minor inconvenience for me. So I don't always like to express it.
0: Right. And maybe it's your thing. Maybe it's uh, your trigger. But also you can't deliver an unlimited amount of negative, critical feedback or corrections to people so you kind of want to choose your battles because obviously if you make a lot of negative comments or find fault with people a lot you, every time you're drawing on the emotional bank account as it's been called you want to make sure that if you're doing that you know you've got a good cause to it. you're drawing on for an important issue if you've created a conflict over one issue then that means you might not be able to do another one the same day yeah you maybe want to be selective about what you confront people on sometimes
1: yeah, and here's a question on that. Um, as I get into new relationships with people, thinking about like, what are the things that, um guess I feel an obligation to share a certain amount of information about my emotional health and state of mind uh, with people, especially in a romantic relationship. I have a political side of me. where I hold these certain values, but then I don't always share them with people because I think that they're triggering and cannot always be helpful for building bridges in relationships, especially first impressions. I don't like to just say I, um, I don't think we should all pay taxes or something. But as time goes on, I think it's important that people do know who I am. So I don't want to just like put this part of me forward because it isn't necessarily the most important thing to me in the beginning part of a relationship that you understand my political principles.
0: Well, being, that be, being, being a libertarian, basically, in short.
1: Right, right. And so there are other things that I think are more interesting about me and more interesting to talk about with people, especially when you first get to know them. But yeah, I'm curious of how do you look at this? Because I used to be the opposite where I would, that was the first thing you would know if you met me, mm. was that I didn't like the government and I and I thought we should all be free. And especially in romantic relationships, that would be kind of, that would be a very big uh, conversation and, and something that was important to me was checking and seeing what this person's perspectives were. What do you think about introducing, I guess, in that specific situation, kind of introducing the political and...
0: um, Or just maybe any controversial views you have. Totally, yeah. I don't. The thing is, I don't think there's really a one-size-fits-all answer. I mean, it depends what you want. It depends what kind of relationship you want. It depends what kind of person they are. It depends what uh, arises naturally. It depends what you feel like talking about it depends what they feel like talking about it depends how important it is to them and to you there are areas of life where having abstract principles and a rule of th- i just wouldn't make an agenda like getting it out but you know if something comes up in conversation where i where you want to it it, i mean do you mean in a dating context or in a general context of me, me, making friends or
1: uh, more so in a dating context is what i'm curious about
0: Okay, so I guess if you're looking for someone to be in a long-term relationship with, then issues like news events are going to come up sooner or later in conversation. I wouldn't particularly go out my way to bring it up in a first date or something like that. If you're casual dating, if you weren't looking for something serious, I wouldn't even bring up that. I would never bring it up with a person unless they brought it up or something like that because, you know, what's the point? But it's like if, you, if it's people that you're going to be spending your time with can bond over sharing values Uh, another way is to make it funny i remember i was dating a girl a few years ago and uh, she wasn't a libertarian minded person she's probably left of center but you know because of wokeness and all the craziness on the left she's she'd migrated a little bit she came from a family where both her and her older sister considered themselves feminists as like a serious issue when stuff came up we'd be out in a shop or something like that and I be joking about how the owner of the gift store when we went on a you know we'd go to on a drive for a date you know to one of these tourist villages or something like that and i'd be making a joke about how the owner of the gift store was exploiting us by sharing all these products with us and stuff like that and we'd just be laughing and it was kind of like a non confrontational way of exploring where her views were politically i guess i kind of eventually developed a character that would play who was this like crazy socialist guy that thought every everything that was relatively benign was exploiting me. That's, that's the best anecdote I have. I don't really know if there's a real answer. It depends how much time you want to spend speaking about politics and philosophy with a loved one. I think that usually <laughs> they're not the best topics to speak about a lot in romantic relationships because there's nothing especially at the beginning. There's nothing really fun or flirtatious or exciting. Get someone speaking about stories from their life in general. seems to be a better way to connect with people at first than on abstract principles. Those can come a little bit later on. Again, I'm painfully aware that I'm not answering your question. I just think that there's no hard and fast rules when it comes to this stuff.
1: No, and I really appreciate that. I I think that that's sort of what I'm I'm learning too. Is that I like to have things very clear and um, mm. thought through. It's that's partly where my leanings in, in libertarianism kind of come from. Is it's a very kind of clear cut philosophy and mm. uh, argued from first principles typically. So I it's, I think I have that. A tendency for that but i'm also becoming more comfortable with the idea is that that life is more complicated than just mm. trying to figure out how exactly should we organize society um, and that there's an experience to have and people to connect with and like you're saying yeah I, I do agree and this is how i've been treating dating recently is it's i'm i'm trying to connect with and, and in relationships in general too i think is really trying to meet people where they're at and and explain where I'm at in the best way I can. One of the things that I'm a little bit insecure of is is trying to manage people's triggers. Mm. I'm a pretty crass and and insensitive person, I think, in general, on my own, genuinely. But I also have...
0: You don't strike me as that. Can you give an an example of the kind of thing you mean? Sure. And, And this is
1: what a lot of people tell me. When I say that, they're like, you're a pretty sensitive, gentle person, Nick. When I hear about people's issues, um, and I guess to use like the woke politics um, as an example, where um, people are explaining their issues with gender identity, and I understand why that can be like a psychological thing that's difficult to deal with, but in my perspective, I'm like, hey, we don't have a, a good food system, and I don't, I don't really care about your personal feelings when there are people who are who are without clean water. And things like these, where I think that there are maybe systemic issues in the political realm that would be more important to deal with on a group level than than your own personal psychology. This is where I feel like I would be insensitive and sometimes I would react in not even that articulate way. And I would say something like, um, yeah, I just don't give a shit about people's feelings. Um, I'd rather focus on this.
0: Right. What you mean is you want, uh, there's certain issues which you feel strongly about that you think the facts are more, I don't want to use that horrible fucking Ben (laughs) Shapiro expression. You think that having clarity and accuracy on the truth or falsehood of the issue is more important than whether people are offended by what you're saying or not? Absolutely. Okay. That's a judgment call. You're going, okay, right. The line crosses here. Like I'm like, I'm not going to freaking say what you want. I'm not going to freaking pretend that Wearing a mask up to the breakfast buffet, putting it on to get up from my table, and then taking it off again when I sit down again is going to fucking help anyone. If you're offended, sorry, but I'm not going to go along with this little performative ritual. There's my example of the same thing. I don't know if that's necessarily being crass. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I I do think that maybe my perspective on that, on myself too, is a little overblown, where I I do think I'm a pretty sensitive person to these issues. And almost always when I'm confronted, um, at least with things like that, I'm...
0: You probably put your views across as considerately as possible. Once you've done that, you know, if someone gets upset, it's your fault. I mean, I don't know if I want to go into details, but I just had an experience recently where... A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, at some retreat and something someone criticized me for something. And I was like a little bit reactive and kind of had a attitude inside. Like, okay, you know, that's your problem. You don't need to take personal offense or whatever to whatever I'm doing. Like, it's, you know, look look in the other direction if you don't like it. And then just last night, I was in a restaurant with a girl I met here. And we were just having a chat, and someone came over and criticized me for the same thing. And just this I'm not praising myself for this. It just came out automatically when she said that she was like, "I was just like, "Oh, thank you." I kind of abruptly was finishing her criticism by saying thank you." abruptly, like I was like, message received, you know, I've got it." And she went on explaining, and she said, "You know, I don't know if you noticed, but and I just said, "No, I didn't you're right. I didn't notice. That's why I said, You know that's what didn't notice i was doing it that's why i said thank you and that is hopefully the process of personal growth of like yeah maybe you take something personally the first time but then you realize you know it's your problem or someone's just giving you some feedback they might not be saying it in a nice way but that's them that's on them hopefully and somewhere in there you just go i'm getting some feedback there's some information that i can take on and if I, i can maybe do it better next time same with the mask thing. Like I, I was I went into a cafe here in Mexico about sometime in the last week and I was kind of a little bit bewildered because it was full. So I was looking around, trying to find a menu, trying to find a, a seat to sit down. And the, the woman, she was fairly polite. but She said, excuse me, sir, could you put a mask on, please? And I, I just because it was already a little bit flustered. I was just like, no. And then I just turned out around and left. And then after that, I thought, mm, I was a little bit rude there. I would have rather been nicer about it. I could still say no, but not be so reactive. But I also realized the reason why I was so reactive is I was kind of discombobulated by the fact that there was no seats and trying to find a menu. So it was like information overload at the time. So whatever, I mean, we're always trying to, not everyone is, but I think people like you and I, you know, we reflect on our experiences and say, if I was in that situation again, how would I ideally handle it? and have an idea there that you can try and live up to. You might fall short of it many times, but with practice you might get closer to it more often. Coming back to the authenticity, the fact that you might not be good at something at first, the first few times you try it, when you try and be more assertive, at first your results might be worse rather than better, which is why not everyone was doing it. But over the long term will get better as you get more practice. Similarly, you know, usually when I meet someone, when I meet new people, like as soon as possible, I find something to bust their balls about and make fun of them <laughs> in a fun, friendly way. But because I know that's the that's the fastest way to make them feel familiar, make it feel like we're already friends and we know each other, because then they feel like they're able to make fun of me as well. Now, one in 10 people is just not going to like it because they don't have that kind of sense of humor. The vast majority of people really, really like it. The thing is, if you're not confident enough to pull it off, it's not going to work. So you might need to practice it in low stakes situations or you just find the edge of your comfort zone and you say something that's slightly obnoxious that you are comfortable enough to get away with. And then once you get used to that, then you just push the ball out a little bit more and you're a little bit more obnoxious when you first meet people because you're confident enough to get away with that. The thing is, I'm so used to doing you know, saying stuff now that's like pushes the boat out that I can I know, I've noticed, I can get away with saying stuff that almost no one else can. Like no one ever goes, Wow, that's really offensive. Like I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> they all they, they always laugh. And on the odd time, like say like one in 15 or one in 20 times where someone has a bad reaction to it, I just take that as feedback and I rein it in a bit for a while until they're more comfortable with me, which is called social calibration, which means you're responding to the real world. You're responding to the reactions you get. You're getting from people. You're not just all in your head. I'm going to behave this way. I've got one size fits all, and I'm going to impose it on the world. Now, you're looking at the way that people respond. Oh, wow, they really find it hilarious when I make the obnoxious jokes. Okay, well, you know, that's the mode that I'm going to slip in. Oh, they're a little bit more socially conservative. I'd better speak in a nice, clear voice with a nice, clear accent.
1: I really like this topic. This is the kind of struggle that I have with marketing my own business and and myself sometimes. There's only so much that you can express at one time, right? Especially if I'm using an infographic, you know, I can't say exactly what I want to say about my meat or about my my podcast or myself. So you find ways to kind of shorten things. And now I've realized that sometimes you omit stuff from just this particular one and you do your best to inform people as they learn more about your product. I just have learned that you cannot educate everybody on everything about what you do. Mm. And so you do kind of have to pick and choose what do you describe. Some people can use that as an excuse to avoid sharing things that maybe a customer doesn't want to hear or you know is maybe not going to make that sale. I guess I'm taking more of a holistic perspective on how I'm trying to interact with people, how I'm trying to do anything. But for sales, I'm selling meat, but it's one of the most expensive meats on the market. And I'm also trying to feed people and, and create a better, more efficient, cheaper food system. And how does that play together where I'm trying to sell a very high quality premium product, but I'm also claiming that, you know, pe- everybody deserves to eat really clean food. And that's actually not contradictory. And I just felt that it was because I felt like, oh, I, if I care about this issue, then I should be doing something about it. And I had some conversations with some other meat producers or like, Nick, Listen, what you're doing is making this world better. What you're, How you raise animals is that activism there. That's making the food system better. And the fact that you have to charge a premium price is testament to how important that this is. Where it's like, yeah, you are paying me a high price because because I, I deserve it, because of the amount of work that I've put in and, and the and the quality of this meat. And like sometimes people don't get to afford it. And that's unfortunate. But if I am selling it at a price that it's not worth, you know, if I'm undercutting myself and not making money, then I'm not gonna continue to do this. What I was expressing there was like and trying to give people deals uh, wherever I could and try to cut the prices as much as I could, that was an authentic part of me trying to help out people and trying to make my business work. But then through learning, through experimenting, finding that that wasn't sustainable and that I had to make a certain amount of money per pound, you know, to make this business work, I started being more honest with people. And mm. I didn't find anybody that got upset with me because I changed my price on them from the last time where I had to raise mm. my prices and say, hey, sorry, I, ch- I charged you this last time, but now I, I you know... I've figured out my yeah. my margins, and now I know what it is. And so anyway, that's a long, complicated story of how I...
0: Well, there's no business or yak farm without the appropriate levels of profit. People have all sorts of baggage to charging money for things. It's this kind of like give and receive weird gray area. But there's no business without... There's no business without... Enough money to fund the business to get a start, and then you know some people just come in in a helicopter or a, a uh, you know flying in first class or something like that, and then people pay them good money because they give off the vibe of that's you know they're the they're obviously the kind of person that earns a lot of money, so obviously you know it's kind of right for me to pay them a lot of money, a lot of its perception, and um, and it's as people's self perception, which is project it into the world which really has a huge effect on what they can charge and what people are willing to pay and for some people it's like they never have any problem making money and if they lost all their money but before long they'd have another business or they'd have a good paying job and they'd be earning and the reason why is because there's no psychological element to them as far as they're concerned it's like I provide a service and I get paid for that service. And that's just how it works. It's just a straight trade. It's only some people have, probably lots of people, probably more people have psychological um, stuff attached to their views on money. More people have that than don't have that. And then it becomes more, then it becomes some weird issue about like oh how do I charge what will people think if I charge this much like for some people it's just like well you know that's the price if you can't make it then you can't make it you know and um, I'm sorry maybe we can work to work together in the future a lot of people give the advice to double the prices or something like that and see what happens and say well you know you might lose some clients if you get more clients then um, you, 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 you'll get by on a, a smaller number of clients because they'll be paying you more. It just really depends on people's psychological makeup. A lot of the time, customers who are always squeezing you in price are also the most demanding customers. Mm -hmm. And customers that are willing to pay more are happy with the service. And also, you then feel compelled to deliver the service at the price they're paying you at as well. So, whereas people who are hardly paying you are like, you know, you do it reluctantly, you do it, you do the work reluctantly when there's not enough of a profit margin to keep you.
1: Yeah, and that's very true. And that's part of like watching that is is part of being uh, careful and in, in your relationships with customers is like being paying attention to that sort of thing. And I I have, um I've never like had to cut anybody out and be like, hey, I'm not selling yak meat to you. But there have been a few people where I've kind of like just slowly stop right you know trying very hard for and, and that worked out for me and and largely that's what I find is the people who really care about quality just they care about me being paid well. Mm. You know, they're like, hey, I want you to be taken care of because I appreciate this meat and I want it to come back to me. Mm. So it's it's always cool when you find those people and having those people makes it easier for me to make that business work. And then also the better that business runs, um, the more resources and time that I have to be able to do other things that make me feel good about helping people too. It's good to be creative about how you meet these needs. Right. Something that, related to this, I, I'm kind of curious about your perspective related to the business part of things is a, as a therapist and somebody who works with people and coaches people, how do you deal with the, like this? Because I've I've run into this myself trying to just not as a business, but trying to help people out. i um, feeling this kind of feeling of, but imposter syndrome, I guess, of I'm still doing the work, yet I'm trying to show you how to do the work as well. I've i just find it very easy for me to get caught up in like, well, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about, so you shouldn't listen to me.
0: Regarding what do you have that kind of imposter syndrome for want of a better word. Specifically, like the
1: thing that comes to me immediately is trying to suggest to people what they should do with their life path. It's something that every once in a while I get the question is like, hey. You know, what do you think I should do with my life, Nick? You're a young person and you seem to have some things figured out. And I'm reluctant to give advice Mm. and be like, yeah, you should drop out of high school and just like live your dreams and follow your passions because, you know, it's not that easy for everybody. And I've had a very lucky position to be able to do those things. Mm. So even though I do feel that way, sometimes I feel the imposter syndrome about that, that I'm like, oh, I shouldn't just give you the actual answer. Mm. Um, I should couch it in some like, hey, take a grain of salt with this, you know? Yeah. I found a way to do that to to kind of give the advice that I want to give based on the person's context. You know, if this if I don't think this person's gonna to want to drop out of school, if, if their life path is like, yeah, I want to be a a doctor or something, you know, then I can then I can be realistic about how I can give this information to somebody. So anyway, I've found a way that I feel is authentic to answer that question is is you know if somebody's reaching to me for help on a specific thing that I can be clear with like well, this is my experience, hmm. and this is what I know. The, the thing that's changed for me is the phrasing of It's like I'm still giving the same advice. I'm trying not to give it in a way that feels like I'm putting it on to you, like, hey, this is what you need to do. Because right. I feel sensitive to people who have done that to me.
0: Right, me too. There's a lot of reasons why you don't want to give advice. Like, You don't want to freaking be responsible for another person's decisions. Like, Why are you, uh, if they go wrong... Never mind if they go right, because then they don't have the credit for making them themselves. And like what you said is great, like telling personal anecdotes, you know, I like to say, well, I experienced it before and share some of my experiences. I'm not really big on giving people advice. Like I'd rather ask some questions. What have you enjoyed doing before? What have you tried that you really like? If you, you know, the cliched one, if you had $10 million and never had to work again, what would you do? What do you enjoy about that? um, It sounds like you want to do this from what you're saying. What do you worry the risks are? Is that very likely? Are there plans that you could make to avoid that? Like just, I'd rather ask questions and really give that person the chance to articulate themselves. Now, if I have a strong opinion after doing that and they seem open to or, or even desiring of me telling them what I think, then I would much rather say, well, if I was in your position, then I'd do X, Y and Z because a b and c but you know you might feel differently on the other hand you might want to do this and the benefits of that are that or rather than say if i was in your shoes i'd do that say well i think you might benefit from trying so-and-so you know make a suggestion i don't say you should do it i say i think you might benefit from and if someone's like oh no i don't want to do that because i don't push you know i don't have the time or energy to try and convince anyone to do what I think they should do um, because it's just a waste of time and energy. I'd rather work with my people who I know are trying to change. And yeah, and the other one is just to share personal anecdotes as you mentioned. Well, Well, what I've done is this and the reason why I think it went really well is it's really sensitive and anyone who observes their relationships carefully will notice that people really don't like being given unsolicited advice in most circumstances, and especially if they're not ready to hear it yet. The first thing people want is understanding, and that means a demonstration of understanding. That, does, that means it's not enough that you understand the other person. You also need to articulate a bit of what you heard back to them so that they get the sense that you understand them. And if you're able to do that regularly, then people will come to a point where they've expressed themselves enough that they're keen to know your opinion. And then they might be a little bit receptive to your own experience or, oh, could I just point something out to you? I don't know if you've considered this or, you know, you might want to do this. Well, I've heard that this is very good. I've heard that this works. Sometimes people say, how should I, if I want to be a therapist, how should I explore that? And I'll say, well, one thing that's really good to do is go and volunteer for the Samaritans or some kind of helpline where they have to put you on the phone because they'll train you for free. You won't have to pay for college because they need to train you because if they put an untrained person on the phone, you know, lives are at stake. Then you'll get some experience, you'll get some skills. They probably give you a certification in your country as well. So that'll give you a leg up if you want to go to college, the fact that you've already got a qualification and um, you'll get to experience something similar firsthand and see if you like it. So, you know, that's an example of, you know, if I were, yeah, well, what I would do if I was in your position is X, Y, and Z. It really depends if you've got specialized knowledge on a subject or not, you know. A lot of times, even when someone directly asks me for advice, they made it clear that that's what they want I still don't want to give them a straight answer. I, you know, I first say, Well, what do you think? or something like that. I you almost always ask them a couple of questions first.
1: Yeah, and I think that's really important. I think that's a really key thing. And I think the the larger pattern that I'm kinda of picking up from this is that authenticity is really about kind of how do you bring your best self forward, the part of you that you feel like is speaking the truth and, and the different and, and touching in with the different parts and it I guess the pattern really is is that it takes That's complicated and then it takes some context to understand each situation. So, you know, there isn't a clear cut principle as to what really should you do. But um, there's some definitely I think we 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 explored a lot of different options for people trying to establish that feeling that authentic self come through and and how to maybe determine what those pieces are and and how to include details and and nuance to uh, this idea of uh, being yourself. So what do you think about that? Do you think that that's a larger pattern there? And do you have any, maybe if you do have any kind of specific advice on how do you touch in with your authentic self and feel that kind of, because I think that's the most important thing is that you feel secure in that you're, you're bringing uh, what you need to bring forward, that you're bringing it forward in those relationships. Does that make sense to you? Do you have anything else to add or take away from that?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's a, I don't know if I've got a answer to your question. How do you touch tap into your authentic self? Because I don't know what um, your authentic self is. It seems like one has a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. I think that people will tend to make the best decisions they can regarding their communication. the The problem is they just don't know how much they don't know about communication. So if you read a book like How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk, you'll notice that there is like a bunch of techniques in there that you never would have thought of for dealing with people when they're being emotional. But if you try those techniques out, not just kids, but the adults too, if you try those techniques out in real people and they get better results than what you're used to doing, you'll probably drop what you're used to doing and start using these techniques more. Similarly, you know, I've got a playlist on YouTube, Anthony Samroff, How to Make Small Talk. You know, there's techniques in that playlist that most people have never heard of before. There's questions there that I say, here's a bunch of interesting questions that you can ask someone. If you're not the kind of person who thinks of asking those kinds of questions, they would never occur to you. you could practice some of them a few times and then they'll become part of the way you communicate in general and if they get good results if you're like oh these make my conversations much more fun and interesting then they become part of who you are so i don't know who your authentic self is it's like it's a work in progress it's like my my advice would be to seek out information on becoming a better communicator there's quite a lot of it in my podcast be yourself and love it podcast uh, because communication is something that fascinates me Uh, i guess as for the true authentic self you guys are you guys are gonna have to discover that for yourselves (laughs) i can't tell you who it is or where it is it's somewhere in there you just might need to rummage around a bit
1: cool well i think that's satisfactory for me and and um i I seem i i think that's uh that your your explanation of that rings true of my experience with um you know, trying to discover these things. So I, I, I really appreciate this conversation and I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk on the, the program with me. Do you have anything, any, any other things you want to put in? You can do that and then I'll turn off the recorder.
0: That's what she said. <laughs> Subscribe to Be Yourself and Love It podcast. There's almost 100 episodes. Some of them are like 10, 15 minutes long, so they're not very. Others are full interviews. Uh, check that out I think there's a lot of good stuff in it some of it's old so it doesn't have great audio like sometimes I pull stuff that I put up on YouTube like years ago before I cared about stuff that you're meant to care about like audio quality but most of it's really good it's the it is the personal development show that I wish existed because it's very much emphasis on practical information that you can actually apply in order to improve your life or your relationships or whatever not too much philosophy or waffling although of course there's a place for that too
1: excellent well i'll link that and i'll check it out myself
0: until next time be yourself your authentic self but don't just be yourself be yourself and love it